The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The one-two pitch, ball line to Yout, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air... Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history. Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well, and it's gone! Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. The Brewers are moving on on a base hit by Nigel Morgan. Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up, get up, get out of here and go for Yelich. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. I'm me, Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. Adam, last last we left things for the Milwaukee Brewers. They had just come off three consecutive series wins against NL East opponents and were about to head out on a daunting 11-game road trip, starting with the uh, second-place San Diego Padres, who have had a great season in the National League West, just behind the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, and we got into a point in the season where injuries were starting to, to rear their head going into the series or a few weeks ago, obviously Willie Adamas with his sprained ankle that he's working through. Then in the final game of the national series, Freddie Peralta injured his shoulder. Uh, the Brewers were turning into the walking wounded and, and things were looking daunting from that perspective. Um, and then they would add to that list in game one of the series with Hunter Renfro going down with a hamstring injury. Adam, right now, the Brewers are, are really battling through some adversity. Uh, but first of all, happy Thursday. How you doing? Uh, because despite the uh, the clouds above us, uh, there's a rainbow at the end of this journey. There sure is. We, we get to some good stuff. The injuries, though, it's it's been really, really tough, even not just the injuries themselves, which we'll get into, I guess, specifics of in a moment. 
But Willie Adanez, who I think the last time we recorded, it was widely believed it had been reported that he would return for game one of the Cardinal series, which is taking place on Thursday, later today as we record, where that timeline has now shifted. He's not going to take part in this series, even though we keep hearing on the broadcast that he looks great. He looks completely normal going through um, all of his kind of rehab work before games on the field. Maybe not the worst idea just to take some extra caution considering the scale of injuries elsewhere and possibly some of the the issues we've seen at shortstop and how much he's played even to this point in the season. Um, maybe some extra caution there is is not unwelcome. But yeah, it's it's been tough with that major injury kind of continuing to carry over a little bit longer than we've hoped. But beyond that, then a whole kind of spate of injuries and unavailability for this series, which on a road trip against a really good team seemed to spell doom, but things things didn't turn out that way. Yeah, this this was a really fun series to watch if you're just a baseball fan in general, and then it ended up being one for the Milwaukee Brewers. And I got to say, this is probably the most impressed I've been with them this season just because of the way they battled through the adversity that was set forth. I mean, you expect to have injuries in a Major League Baseball season, but when they all pile up at once, uh, it can make things difficult for a team, for a manager. And to push through that and take two out of three games against a very talented team, a team that you might see in the postseason, is incredibly impressive. Um, we also want to say, just starting off, the, the Brewers also were without Josh Hader in this series. Um, he stayed back in Milwaukee, Craig Council said. Um, his wife is having some complications uh, with her pregnancy. And I speak for you and the entire GSBN family when we say best wishes to the Hader family. I think now more than ever in this world, it's important to note that there are so many more things more important than baseball in this world. Um, and family is one of those things. And so, again, just all the thoughts and wishes and uh good vibes to the hater family as uh, as they go through that situation um now moving on to baseball like i said this was just a very intense and entertaining series if you're just any kind of baseball fan i mean, i know it's may and both teams were missing some of their key players but this was a game that because of the razor thin margins because of the big moments it had the feel of a playoff game as much as any series can in may and game one, um, things got started off on kind of a, a trying note at, as the Brewers uh, got out to a, a two-run two lead. Tyrone Taylor, who continues to play well, two-run double in the second inning, scores Andrew McCutcheon and Hunter Renfro. Uh, Renfro took an awkward slide into home plate, and broadcasters originally thought he had hurt his hand because he had kind of uh, tucked it under Jorge Alfaro's catcher's gear. He stayed in the game for two additional innings, and then it uh, turned out that he hurt his hamstring. He was really hustling to score from first on that play. Uh, stakes the Brewers to a 2-0 lead, but then Renford does go down. He's going to be on the IL, um, and we'll see where things go from there. The, the Council has, has suggested it's two weeks. He will two, weeks. two weeks. Uh, perfect. Um, they responded by calling up Mark Mathias, who's having a, a fairly good season in in Nashville, hitting uh, 341, 425, 
555 slug with four homers on the year. Uh, one of the games that we watched for our, our Nashville preparation saw him hit an opposite field homer to right. So it'll be interesting to see how much time he gets. He's kind of a utility guy, can play a lot of different positions. So maybe as you get to the middle of this 11-game road trip, road trip and you need to give a guy a day off, maybe we see Matthias in the lineup. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, Renfro going down there in the middle of the game, uh, not what you want to see. And, and this game just had additional moments from there. Adam, uh, the Padres right now are without shortstop, their usual starting shortstop, Fernando Tatis Jr. He injured himself in the offseason in a motorcycle accident. And when they asked him uh, about it, he said, which accident? So Fernando Tatis needs to stop riding motorcycles. But he's one of the most electric and exciting players in the game. Can get uh, kind of error-prone at shortstop. So they're some wondering if maybe uh he should be an outfielder and after watching this game uh i also think he should be an outfielder and even with when he's been out uh a lot of times the Padres have been playing Sung kim at shortstop in this game jake cronenworth was there and he put on an absolute show and was incredibly annoying because what this series for both teams and in this game in particular came down to missed opportunities or just big plays by the defense when with runners on base. The Brewers loaded the bases in the fourth inning, and Colton Wong is robbed of a hit with two outs by Jake Cronenworth at shortstop on one of the best plays I've seen this season. Diving play up the middle, basically in the shallow center field. So fully lays out, pops up from his knees, throws out Colton Wong at first base, and that's the moment in this game when I got the vibe that this was going to be a high-level, entertaining, competitive series. And those are just, the, like I said, the slim margins and the big moments that it takes to separate two good teams. What, what were your thoughts on just kind of how that game developed and especially just some of the incredible plays we were seeing? I mean, more generally, my thoughts are on the Padres across this series, which I was very impressed by them. And we talked going into the series about it being a measuring stick. Obviously, the standings show that, but like this is very possibly a team that if you want to have a playoff run, you you may have to uh, battle it out with at some point. And they're impressive. They're they're very very good. Their pitching was, I think, probably about as good as we've seen across the entirety of a series for a Brewers opponent. Like all three good starts. Um, and yeah, they're just. Multiple different guys coming up with big plays. It was Cronward in, in game one, but Manny Machado has been living on base, it seems like, this season, and that was that was true of this uh, this series, too. Hosmer, likewise. I think they are both top three in batting average for, for Major League Baseball so far this season, so it, it certainly checked out, like, just in terms of their ability, whether it was with hits or whether they were otherwise getting on base. Those two guys were, were having some success. Um, but I, I thought they were a very good team. And, I mean, in, into this game, it's like, it's tough. It's tough when Renfro has to come out of the game as early as he did. Um, already, I think the Brewers... Still a kind of funny place because even on top of the injuries, you've got Andrew McCutcheon is only back two, three games at this point heading into the series. So he's still kind of working his way back. And all of a sudden, he's like really going to have to take up a bigger role than he has up to this point in the season. Um, unlikely to just be a DH for the next couple of weeks anyway. He's going to likely get more starts out in the field. 
And with that, this was one where you're just kind of looking for them to stay in the game and give themselves a chance. And that's what they did to their credit. Like, <laughs> it's no small feat. Um, Adrian Hauser, I, I thought this was a really, really good start from Adrian Hauser. Just finding ways to battle through adversity, but generally keeping some pretty good control on things. Um, one of what felt like his more solid starts. He may, he may have won better this season, but it just felt a little bit more controlled than some of his outings uh, to date in the year. It's easy to forget how good he's been this year as well. 298 ERA, and that's coming from your fifth starter. I mean, that's 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 really doing something there. <laughs> so yeah, he was uh allowing runners early and then had some really clean innings in the middle and just did a great job at, at limiting damage. Only uh allowed one earned runs, six innings pitch, three hits, two walks, four strikeouts, really did his job and kept them in a in the game. Um the scoring would take place on a RBI ground out in the bottom of the fifth to make it two one Brewers. And then something that is the bane of your existence, Adam, uh, former Brewer, Trent, Trent Gris- Grisham, sorry, almost said Trent Krim, uh, the independent. Um, sorry about that to double down on your misery here, Adam, and talk about bunts and Ted Lasso, but a bunt single makes it two, two in the bottom of the seventh. And, uh, from there, it would just be a battle to to extra innings. And in the 10th, the Brewers would load the bases. Tough luck double play from Andrew McCutcheon uh, makes their two outs. Uh, Rowdy Telez uh, makes the next out. And then things get sent to the 10th inning where the Padres would end up walking things off on an Azucar single to center field off of Miguel Sanchez, who was recently called up. Um, due to the injury Call, issues. called up that day, right? And all yeah, of a sudden, you're it's... you're in an extra innings against the Padres. That's tough. Yeah, uh, tough, tough, tough way to lose a game. Um, but like you said, it it's some might say the the Brewers lost this, but just like the nature of some of the things that happened, it was more along the lines for me. Like the Padres won it because of just. Jake Cronenworth's play in the in the fourth and then you know McCutcheon's tough luck ball if it gets past the pitcher it's a double play but a run probably scores or maybe he beats it out the first I don't know there are just so many things that you boil it down to like well baseball is gonna baseball but a tough 3-2 loss in extra innings uh could have been something that's that's tough to bounce back from but game two saw another intense battle and well, uh, just on game one before you go i'll be honest when they lost game one i was thinking mm, this could be a sweep like given the circumstances for the brewers given all of the injuries josh Hader not being around and if game one was to kind of set the tone for the series which it turns out it absolutely did um being a pitching battle throughout you're gonna have some concerns about if the brewer starters aren't going really deep into the game what's the bullpen going to look like? Are you going to have enough guys to go around? Like just even from a very practical point of view, extra innings in game one, not ideal. Extra innings for the Brewers right now, just not ideal at all. So maybe we should try try to uh, steer clear of them where possible. But I was, I wasn't feeling all that confident because whether the Brewers let it go or the Padres deserve to win it, as you, you say, 
it just felt like a gettable game that got away from them. And you're like, oh, that's tough because they're really up against the wall in this particular series and at the moment where it feels like that might be one you wanted to get. So to their great credit and to my surprise, yeah, game two. You can you can take over again now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it, it turns out it could have been <laughs> a sweep in either direction, honestly, yeah. the, the way it ended up. Um, game two started on a, a troubling note. Uh, Padres got a first inning run on a Jurickson Pro Far double play. Uh, and then the pitchers duel really just settled in. Blake Snell uh, against Corbin Burns. And Burns didn't have his best uh, start. He allowed seven base runners, five hits, two walks. But he did settle in after that first inning and didn't allow another run. Struck out the side in the fourth. That was the sign that he really started uh, settling in. But to that point, Blake Snell really wasn't unhittable, but it, it looked like he was going to make big pitches in big situations to, to get out of innings. And then Mike Brasso came to the plate. He had already recorded the, the first Brewers hit on Snell. And then in the bottom of the fifth inning, just crushes a home run. Uh, to left field to make it 1-1. And it seemed to be a moment that jolted the Brewers to life. Uh, obviously, he went and rung the bell. Everyone seemed really fired up at that point. Um, I will say Barrasso on the season now um, has raised his batting average to 314, 397 OBP, 510 uh, slugging. He's got a 906 OPS. Um those numbers don't add up. So I, <laughs> I wrote something wrong at some point. Oh, that's what it says on baseball reference, whatever. Um, having a really great season with the bat. Now, it's a situation where I wonder if Willie comes back before Renfro and the uh, defense on the left side of the infield is normalized. I wonder if we could see against left-handed pitchers Barrasso in that DH role, which is, I think, something that uh, it, he would fit into nicely. So 1-1 in the fifth. The next inning, Tyrone Taylor continues to play well, hits a three-run homer to make it 4-1. Uh, Blake Snell had just been removed for Craig Stammen with, uh, I think, one or two, with uh, one out in the sixth inning. And the bullpen move for Bob Melvin does not go well as Taylor crushes that three-run homer. Uh, and then this game be became a situation of, the Brewers or the Padres doing what the Brewers did in game one, which is getting themselves into favorable situations. And then the Brewers making plays to get out of it. Hobie Milner allowed a single uh, to Luke Voigt and then to Hassan Kim in the 
seventh inning to ha- see the first two base runners of that inning reach. Then he gets old friend Trent Grissom to ground the ball back to him, makes a great throw to Luis Arias, who makes a great throw to Keston here. Double play, two outs in- instantly there in the seventh. I just remembered another Luis Arias throw to uh, Keston here for this game when you said that. That's just what made me laugh there. Yes. Uh... <laughs> cool, that was about 10 feet uh, over his head. You remember that one? Yeah, but this one was great. This was one was great. Right... No, you just jogged my memory. I was, I was laughing about it. Yeah, this one, uh, this one was exceptional. Mil- Milner on point to Urias, Urias on point to Hira. Two outs there, and then a ground ball to Barrasso gets them out of the inning. Uh, and like, like I said earlier, it's just like those little moments of execution. Two runners on, what happens? Double play, sw- swings the momentum of an inning. I know momentum's mostly faking in our heads, but psychologically, it's real when you're playing, when you're playing a baseball game. I- in sports, it is hard to rail against it because, you know, it is psychological. It's in our heads, but it's in players' heads, too. So uh, I think it matters. Yeah. Uh, and then in the bottom of the eighth, runners on first and third with two outs. Will Myers comes up with, in a big spot, and Trevor Gott gets a strikeout to get him out of the, the inning. I think we got a fist pump from Gott there that I was all in on. He was fired up. One of my, one of my favorite things in baseball are or two of my favorite things. Pimped home runs, like you just watch it go a mile, bat flips, and then uh, pitchers striking out the last batter of an inning and just uh, reacting like uh, like that. I love can excitement I, can I add something in the game. Can I add something that's not entirely dissimilar to that that we saw in game three, which was yes. uh, Omer Narvaez beating his chest to Freddie, like to with conviction, like you've got this or this is it in a – in the final inning of that game. Big fan of that. Big fan of the catcher really kind of geeing up the pitcher. That's that's something that I think it aligns with me being very pro catcher. But uh, I, I enjoyed that. As, and as for God, I think part of the reason for that, I believe if I remember correctly, I think it was Colton that the ball went over his head. He just didn't get to. And you could see the disappointment on God's face to give up a hit at all. Uh, which is kind of speaks to the kind of season that God is having so far. Um, but yeah, to, to find himself with a, with a runner on base in that situation, he clearly just wanted to make sure he got out of there clean. And yeah, the reaction when he did was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it goes along with the bell, a whole, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of baseball is just like, what can we do to fire up the boys over the course of 162 game season? And you know, that matters. The vibes matter. Uh, Devin Williams would work a a scoreless ninth inning with two strikeouts um, to record the save. And there you go. After a tough game one, they bounce back in game two. A homer from Mike Brasso, a homer from Tyrone Taylor, some great pitching to to get out of jams. And that's how you win a a close game and and make up for missed opportunities in game one. That's what it's all about. Uh, Game three. I did not get to see much of because, as I mentioned last podcast, I was in New York this week uh, for work, um, getting to spend the week with my great colleagues. And I'm not just saying this because they know about this podcast and might listen to it. <laughs> They're actually great people, and I enjoyed myself uh, while I was in New York. It was a good time. The only issue was New York traffic is real. It took me two hours to get from Midtown to JFK Airport, so I missed most of this baseball game. Adam. I know I knew one thing going into it, and then I'll let you fill in my gaps. But Aaron Ashby getting another start uh, due to 
maybe or maybe not due to the injury of Freddie Peralta because this seemed to be earlier in the rotation than what it normally had been. So maybe Ashby was already getting a start um, as we've seen him go back from that bullpen roll into the starting rotation, making the start. And his uncle, Andy Ashby, longtime San Diego Padre in attendance. Uh, I think Ashby said that this was the second time he had gotten to see him pitch in the first time or live in the ballpark. And the first time was during his debut to, that did not go well. But yeah, Phil, uh, fill, fill us in from from where I was in the Uber. Well, we saw a lot of Andy Ashby, a lot of Andy Ashby, uh, who was, he was really going through it. <laughs> um, he might as well have been out there on the mound himself. I don't know if he was as aware as he should have been, like a camera was fixed on him at all times because there was some very exasperated reactions and things just didn't quite go Aaron's way. This is kind of, this is typical of Aaron Ashby's starts so far, I would say, this game was. And it's going to be something, obviously, we're going to see a lot more of now with Freddie Peralta out for not the entire season. He will be back this year, Craig Council said, but he's indicated it will be a lot of the season. Um, so Aaron Ashby's time as a starter is is here. It's not going to be the case of, okay, every two, three weeks, we're going to rotate round and we'll go to six-man rotation. He is going to be very firmly in the five, it would seem. And we've seen some great work from him in relief innings lately. And I don't think the starts have ever been quite as controlled. And that's here again, where you get through first couple of innings, um, even a bit beyond that. And it's just super clean. He's completely in control. And you're like, Aaron Ashby is the real deal. It's hard to see how anyone is ever going to get hits on him. His slider is working and there's just, there's nothing there for the Padres. When he loses the zone though, when he just loses that little bit of control, I, I think the concern that I would see with him and it was there in this game and he had to fight through it, which is really good experience in its own right is he goes on stretches where he will walk multiple guys or he will give up hits in succession and that is that is a tough spot to be in because obviously if your timing is wrong, that's gonna equate to runs. His timing was not wrong here. You know, he managed to survive through that. Um, he managed to battle his way out of some tough, tough spots. And overall, very, very impressed with that. Um, it was a big, big game from going back into the starting rotation but knowing that he's going to be there for the foreseeable future, like that it's, it's something he's going to have to make his own. And this is his real chance to, to prove just how good he is. And I think we all believe he is really, really good. And the best of him was there. I think some of the concerns as a starter that you would have were also on display here, but ultimately he, he worked his way through that. He battled his way out and he limited the damage. And given how low scoring this series was, how tight, it was the fact that it really was a, a pitcher's battle and that you Darvish looked like he was giving up absolutely nothing until the moment where he was giving up a lot. Um, this was a very, very solid performance and something that I think in reflection feels a lot better than maybe even it, it looked in the moment. I think you can look back on it given all the circumstances and knowing it's it's a big game for Ashby in the context of his season, but then also there is the element of, okay, his uncle's there and he, I'm sure he was particularly eager to, to do well. And I think in the end he did. Yeah. And catching back up on the condensed game, I was particularly impressed by uh, 
how he was throwing a slider for for swings and misses. I mean, when that pitch is on, it's nearly unhittable, and he'll dial up the high nineties fastball. So, like you said, if I mean, if he doesn't hone his command, he, he can still be a really good starting pitcher <laughs> in Major League Baseball. If he does, he can be in the level of Sky's some of the top guys in the league. Like he's yeah. got incredible stuff and five and two thirds innings pitch, four hits, one run. It was an unearned run uh, in the fifth inning. Well, before before uh, getting to that, I will say that was a now, that for... was a pass ball. Is that the the correct? I'm remembering the phrase. It was. I think there was debate over whether it was going to be scored as a wild pitch or not, but it wasn't. It was just one that got landed in the dirt ahead of Narvaez, got past him, and I think it was it was kind of charged to Narvaez as such. Yeah, there was a pass ball. The uh, the reason the run was unearned, I was referring to Jace Peterson's error. Um, Sorry, correct, correct. Yeah, no worries. In the in the fifth inning, uh, one out runners on first and second. Uh, chopper to Jace Peterson. It's it seemed like he was in between, wondering should I take this to the bag and get one out, or should I uh, try and get the out at second? Uh, and ends up just you know not fully getting the ball in his glove. Loads the bases. Uh, ground ball by Profar to short makes it one nothing. That was actually um, yeah, that was also a common theme for the Brewers in this game. I'm trying to think that they get one late. I don't believe so, but I know True will say seven to eight innings they had not successfully turned a double play uh, in spite of having countless opportunities. It was just like feeler's choice everywhere, um, yeah, which was, was interesting. A lot, and uh, honestly, over the course of this series, I could think of quite a few times where it's like, you know, uh, I could think of Rowdy not necessarily kind of getting into throwing fast enough. I think of Colton kind of turning down the chance. I mean, some of those weren't there to be made, but it it is a way that is actually impressive that without actually getting those those outs as efficiently as you would like to in other occasions, they were able to just take it one by one and still get the job done. And that's a reflection on on Ashby in this occasion too. Yeah, it was like uh, especially on that pro far ground ball it's like if that had two more miles per hour of exit velocity on it maybe they turn that so that was yeah that was an interesting situation did, I, did you before... see that just because there was one spectacular defensive play in this which is one of those that did not actually turn into a double play um but colton's kind of glove and flip up to midair Luis arias who who then yeah. gets across that was that was some of the good stuff and i mean nice to see that that's usually kind of uh when willie adamas is there him and colton are very much on the same page and we've seen some plays like that but that was pretty spectacular from colton with the glove yeah that was filthy that was mlb the show type stuff where you stop the game and you for, uh record the replay on your phone and you send it to your friends it was uh, a be- a beautiful glove flip there uh briefly pulling back on the wider picture for, for Aaron Ashby He's had 10 outings this year. Four of them came in starts. He's thrown 34 innings. So that's already more than the 31 and two thirds innings he threw last year. He's got a two nine, one ERA, um, a three, four, four FIP. Um, really just kind of coming into his own as a pitcher. Uh, the walk, the walk rate is high. So that's something to, to keep an eye on moving forward. But uh, so are the strikeouts per nine at, at 10.3. So he he's, He's where you want him to be at this point in his career development, and he's going to obviously, because of the injury issues uh, with Freddie Peralta, he's going to get the opportunity to keep starting. Um, whether or not he starts in the playoffs, whatever happens long-term in the season, he's going to be a weapon for the Brewers in any role on the mound. Uh, 
But yeah, so the the Brewers limited the damage after that. Christian Yelich made a really nice running catch uh, on kind of a little flare to left field. Um, and then just as I was boarding the plane, keeping up on my phone, uh, Adam, as you as I told you, it took like 15 minutes to taxi to take off. So I, it, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't great, but it also it was also me... convenient. Yeah, let's just it was, yes, it was game. a. It was a convenience because I got to see a convenient inconvenience. Yeah. Convenient inconvenience is exactly what I was looking for. My brain is soup this morning. Luis Arias walk, cutch single to right field, puts runners on first and third in the bottom of the seventh. It was a bold bit of base running by Luis Arias to, to try and make it to third there, but he did it paid off. And, and who finds himself at the plate in a big moment? Rowdy Tellez slice double down the left field line, makes it one, one. And then, Tyrone Taylor sack fly makes it 2-1 crew. Uh, they failed to score any more in that inning, but uh, and in a situation where you're sitting with a depleted bullpen, that would could be concerting. But Brad Boxweather, oh Jesus, Brad Boxweather with names in. today. I mean, Trevor Grisham, I've ha- heard like multiple. I'm having a tough one. I'm having a tough one. I don't know what the deal Trent is. I need Grisham to do some, like, I've called him Trevor now. We're all over the place. Uh, I need to <laughs> I need to do some vocal exercises when I wake up. Uh, Brad Boxberger, scoreless eight, struck out the side. And then Devin Williams come working his third game in a row in a situation where his team needs him to shut the door. He does work in a scoreless ninth inning. And Another tight game, another close game in a series between two really good teams. The Brewers are victorious. As you said, Adam, they stay classy in San Diego and get the job done. Just overall, uh, obviously, it, it could have been a sweep, but I'm I'm taking the, the glass half full perspective. I think this is... No, no, I, uh, there's no, I, there's I no said, glass half empty for this one. Oh, no, yeah, of course not. But I said the most satisfying win of the season was Keston Hero's walk-off homer. And it was the most satisfying for, for most reasons because reasons, of yeah. because it was against the Braves. But for me, this this now becomes like the the best moment in, in a season that's gone incredibly well, twenty eight and sixteen record. But they they faced some adversity, a tough game, one loss, injuries, um, and that didn't matter. They came in and executed when they needed to, and they won a series against a good team, against a team they could see in October. Got three outs. Well three outstanding starting pitching performances, bullpen guys coming in and doing jobs. I will say Luis Perdomo. Yeah. I, I was going to shout, I want to shout out Perdomo because I, I was really, really impressed. And he is in the category of guys and particularly with the shorthand at the moment, that when Luis Perdomo comes in and he gets, he gets the single out needed to, uh, to get out of the six and you're like, great. We're probably going to see him again where under normal circumstances, he may just be brought in for that out and we'll see someone else shorthanded. You're like, we're probably going to see him in the seventh. Um, mm, how's that going to be? He he was really good. And then Box, after having some trouble in his previous outing, back to his very best. Really, really clean. Not a not a big strikeout pitcher and strikes out all three guys. Like So Perdomo and Box are exceptional to then lead into Devin Williams, who just nails over the past couple of games and even not his fault. They didn't win game one. He was in, um, in the ninth and he did his part then too. um, allowed a couple of hits, but got his way out of trouble, which is kind of the Devin Williams way to do it. It's never exactly uneventful. 
Um, it's either just some of the nastiest pitches you're going to see and some kind of chest-beating strikeouts, or it's a couple of hits, and then it's having to dig your way out of trouble. Um, but Perdomo uh, is not someone that we generally would talk a whole lot about, although there's probably opportunities over the next week or so again, and to make yourself a real kind of staple of what the bullpen could be like over the remainder of the season, I, I thought he did a very nice job, and it was great to see Box come up with, with his best to follow that up. Yeah, and a few shaky outings for Perdomo this year, but he's mostly been pretty good. Eight and a third innings pitch, only two earned runs allowed. And like you said, there's going to be opportunity for him to to be in games in the middle innings, um, especially over the course of this road trip, as face 11 games in 11 days all on the road. And a doubleheader um, in there, too. Yeah, a doubleheader against, against the Cubs coming up. Uh, just really solid performances from, from guys that, aren't aren't the stars of the team i mean hobie bilner in game two like we were saying as well just uh overall a series where guys needed to step up and they did um and some guys stepped up more than others adam that's what we call in the business a transition yeah let's get to the master master brewer leaderboard um this was a pitcher's battle of a series which actually just on that one thing that we didn't really just even dwell on for a second there like the success that the brewers got in game three did come down from you darvish being stretched out way too much um but i i guess the interesting counter as we talked just before we started recording is that doing the opposite had backfired on the padres the day before um or no the reverse of that the opposite had worked yeah. um with blake snell so uh, you could see why they Took the same approach in this one, but it did not work. You Darvish ended up uh, with 108 pitches for the game. And for someone who was in complete control, which side note for me, obviously he's a name pitcher that I've been familiar with from before I watched baseball. Uh, painfully slow. I, I found it really, really, particularly the first few innings. I'm like, this is the slowest pitcher I feel like I've seen yet. Uh, maybe I'm forgetting someone and you can correct me on that. But I was like, wow, this is slow. Like this, this is the example for I, I've seen I've seen on the fringes of stuff discussions about the pitch clock and the potential for that's coming in the future. And I've seen and was largely in agreement up until this point with the idea of you don't need to force it, you don't need to really kind of do anything to make the game quicker than it is. Like baseball is baseball, it takes a certain length of time. But there should be something for a guy like that. Like the, the thing that it makes me think of is golf. And we're, we're a slow pet player individually. If they're averaging out, they get put on the clock. That might be a better way to approach it. If you've got pitchers who just on average are taking much, much longer than what, what you're going to find elsewhere in the game or in the league. I think that's something where there should be some level of policing on that, where guys are kind of given a warning, but it that's that was one of my you darvish takeaways was he's unbelievably so the other was he was really great in this game until the padres just pushed their look and considering the guys who he was dealing with like you're you're getting him really deep in the pitch count and he's looking at the teeth of the brewers offense and like when coach got the hit um was it was it yellier arias who was on base before that Basically, he'd given up a couple of hits to good players, and then you've got Rowdy Taz going to, to like, Rowdy Taz at the plate. 
and with the game as it is. I think that's that's a tough one. I get because it worked the day before, you don't make that decision. But just it was a, an interesting kind of way for the game to get away from the Padres because Darvish, out of the two starting pitchers, like Ashby had a very good start, but Darvish's start was better, like right up until it wasn't. And that feels like it's on the manager. Yeah, it's it's one of those situations. So the day before, what had happened was Blake Snell, he did take out Blake Snell when he got to 104 pitches uh, in the middle of the, the sixth inning. And then Craig Stammen comes in and Taylor hits a three-run homer. Um, so Bob Melvin does the opposite this yeah. time and leaves you Darvish in, and it doesn't work. I think the right move both time is to remove the laboring starting pitcher when they've gotten to a situation where they clearly don't have it anymore. Uh, but I guess well, Melvin... The, the thing with that and where you just is, the fact of the matter is, like, unless you're talking the best of the best in terms of relievers... Yeah, it's more likely that your reliever is going to give up a homer anyway than your starting pitcher. So I think he may have drawn the wrong conclusion from what happened the day before. Like, if you've, I, I am not someone who has thrown 100 pitches. Uh, I have thrown zero pitches in my life. I would imagine by the time you're up around 108, your arm's pretty sore. <laughs> I, I would imagine you're, you're definitely feeling it at that point. And I think the fresh arm for Ready to Les is a good idea. Um, as much as then, I guess the counter to that is that whole game, all the broadcasts was talking about you, Darvish is really, really tough for lefties. Um, he's really, really good at getting the ball inside on them, making it very difficult where after hitting, they're essentially just kind of jamming it. Um, and then, you know, that's all, all well and good. But when like one of the, the RBI leaders in major league baseball, the Brewers RBI leaders coming to the plate and, you've got guys on base, maybe that is the point to be like, yeah, fresh arm here would make sense. Well, and you know who is also uh, would probably be a tough matchup for Rowdy Tellez there if managers managed their bullpens uh, a little more flexibly? Taylor Rogers. <laughs> like, I, pl- managers refuse to u- use their closers a lot of the times in the highest leverage situations of games. That might not always be in the ninth inning. I don't th- think he necessarily should have gone to Taylor Rogers that early, but there was someone in the bullpen that was more rested and refreshed than you Darvish that should have been pitching to Roddy Tellez in that situation. So yeah, he drew the wrong conclusion from his good process, bad result in game two and let it affect game three. And you know what? The Brewers were rewarded with wins in each of them. So uh, it worked out uh, and great uh, clutch hitting from Tyrone Taylor in game two uh, when they brought in Stammen great clutch hitting from Rowdy Tellez in game three. And Uh, and honestly from Tyrone Taylor, who wasn't too far off uh, repeating for a tree run homer, but he did what was needed with the sack fly. Yep. They, uh, uh, Darvish was eventually, or I guess, no, they kept Darvish in to face Taylor, didn't they? They did. This was, was, uh, playing time so you know it's very tough the, the yeah, wi-fi was he, good. I was refreshing. he came out after facing taylor i'm pretty sure so yeah inexplicable to leave him in to face rowdy even more inexplicable to continue to leave him in to face taylor um and the brewers made him pay so yeah like you said great job by tyrone to to just make sure he got the run in but like you said he i guess he crushed that baseball and it ended up uh not going as far, whether due to the marine layer in San Diego or the uh, the ever changing baseball, but also uh, it seems like a big ballpark because I, I know yeah. uh, Luis Arias had a fly out. I mean the second inning, 
No, we're going to be the first. We're going to be first given his position in the order. Um, that I did not think was anywhere close. Like it was, it was maybe cut just before the warning track, and then, uh, what's the name of the account? Is it Wood at Dong? <laughs> yes. Uh, which is a great Twitter account. And I was scrolling my Twitter feed at the time. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was doing a home run in 14 out of 30 ballparks. So I was like, oh, OK, it was it was maybe a, a little deeper than I realized. Um, so that was interesting. Just before we go to Master Brewer Leaderboard. I, I, I did want-, want to say, according to you're right, because according to Park Factors from 19 or from 2019 to 2021, uh, Petco Park was the fourth most pitcher friendly park. So there you go. Spot on, Adam. And explains the score throughout the series too, I guess. Um, just your thoughts on me finding you, Darvish, as slow as I did. Does that even does that strike you, or can you think of guys that are just significantly slower? Uh, there's one guy that stands out in my mind. He's not a starter though, but his innings uh, t- <laughs> take a while. But Pedro Baez, who I think is on the Astros now that had pitched uh, for the Dodgers uh, when I noticed this is particularly slow. Uh, in my mind, I'm, I'm not coming up with any starting pitchers that are ringing a bell as slow as Darvish, but that's an, an interesting thing to dive into. I might come to something later tonight that we'll mention later with some, with some talking points around other guys around the league. Uh, not getting to watch this game, I didn't get a sense of, of Darvish, but that is something that I've noticed with him in the past. Uh, in particular, I remember um, in the game when he was uh, tipping his pitches against the uh, Dodgers in the or against the Astros, sorry, in the 2017 World Series, I believe. Uh, it, it did seem like he was a guy that kind of just, you know, glided through games and was only going to deliver the pitch on his terms, which uh, is arguably not good for the game of baseball. No, the games are moving it's slow, not, but, but it's, you're, uh, you're really stacking the odds in the pitcher's favor because there's got to be an element to hitting, which is, which is rhythm based. And if you're, if you're messing with it to that extent, if you're really stretching it out and guys are standing in the box, I mean like, Jesus, when is he gonna, when is he gonna throw this? That's gotta particularly, you know, second or third time around the order that's got a kind of great on guys if they're seeing them multiple times too so it, it seems to me like something that there should be a guard in place against someone just really kind of stretching it because if in comparison to ashby or if, if pred Suter was in the game like it would have looked hilarious where Suter is just like yeah I, i'm just gonna throw three pitches in like 60 seconds here um that that's very very different to the Darvish experience Listeners of my age or, or older may also remember Steve Traxel, who pitched for um, the Cubs, the the Rays, the Mets, the Blue Jays, Orioles, um, all over the place. He might be the slowest working pitcher of all time. His nickname was the Human Rain Delay. So mm. it's it's a good thing you never had to watch uh, Steve Traxel pitch because he was absolutely brutal um and they say uh they say hitting is timing and pitching is upsetting time and timing so you darvish takes that to uh to extremes but uh nobody ever did it better or actually worse than steve traxel all right master brewer leaderboard let's actually get to where we were gonna be a few minutes ago um was a pitcher's battle of a series and we're rewarding the pitchers all three starting pitchers for the Brewers gave quality starts. They're all getting a beer. 
Devin Williams, two saves, played in all three games, did well in all three games, also getting a beer. Tyrone Taylor is the sole offensive representative for the series. Um, obviously, the big three-run homer in game two, but then also his sack fly in game three. So both Brewers' wins do not happen without him coming up with clutch plays to get runs home. Um, he was the undoubted offensive star. And the the consistency with which he's playing, I think he's he is probably now the hottest hitter on the Brewers. Rowdy has cooled off a little bit. Let's hope that um, picking up that RBI can, can get him in something of a groove again. But Tyrone Taylor feels like the guy who is, is in the best form with the bat. And that is interesting because it's coinciding with the Renfro injury now, and it's going to give him like extended everyday starter opportunity. And it's there for him to really grab it right now. And the early signs are good. Like with Locaine and on, on the other side, Locaine, I feel like, because we were really kind of hard on Locaine early in the season when his play deserved it. I do feel like it's been getting better. I, I don't think it's anywhere near as kind of viscerally bad as it was early in the year. But I would just love to see him like have a random homer from somewhere. Just be like, oh, look at that. It, it would be great. Um, I love his whole energy and his vibes out there. But to get back on track, Tyron Taylor, he's our offensive representative. So that's uh, that's the updates. So what that means is true. 44 games, Rowdy Tellez is still the leader with seven master group points. Corbin Burns now up to solo second with five. Christian Yelts, Josh Hader, Willie Adams have four apiece. On three, we've got Freddie Peralta, Eric Lauer, Hunter Renfro, and now Devin Williams. Brandon Woodruff, Colton Wong, Jace Peterson, Andrew McCutcheon, Luis Arias, Adrian Hauser, Aaron Ashby with two each. And with a single beer to their name so far, Trevor Gall, Kesson Hira, and now Tyrone Taylor, which we were kind of noting before the game. It's surprising that he hadn't got any yet, but even when he's had good moments, he's probably played like one out of three games in some series. So he's playing now and he's getting the reward from us for for that too yeah i i I think everyone on this list very well deserving glad to see uh taylor on the board he's been playing well um he'll he'll obviously be in the lineup for the foreseeable future as hunter renfro is down i think when renfro is back he'll be locked in as the everyday center fielder unless uh something drastic happens and uh yeah really uh really excited to see how he continues moving forward. Uh, the road trip doesn't stop, Adam. Uh, the Brewers head next to St. Louis to kick off a four-game series tonight on Thursday, May 26th, going tonight at 6.45 Central Time, first pitch, Eric Lauer versus Adam Wainwright. Friday, 7.15 Central Start, Brandon Woodruff versus Dakota Hudson. Saturday, 1.15 Central Start, Adrian Hauser versus what is Libertor's first name? Matthew Libertor. I should have known that. Um, and then on Sunday, to wrap up the series, one fifteen Central Start, Miles Michaelis versus question mark. Adam, who could it be? I have no Luke idea. Barker, uh, Ethan, Luke Barker, Ethan Small? I don't know. Maybe. I, I mean, I was going to ask you, too, because obviously it's really it's part of our next preview, but it does factor into who may get the start in game four of this series. How what should I expect from my first double header, which is going to open up the Cubs series, particularly a little shorthanded? How are the Brewers going to handle that? Um, that is a great question. Uh, I know that 
I'm pretty sure the, the rule still stands that you're allowed to call up an extra man for the doubleheader. So I assume we'll get another pitcher added to the mix. Um, based on the turn coming in the rotation. Uh, that, that, honestly, that could be based on Eaton Small's start for the sounds. I know people were saying it would put him right in the time frame for that day against the Cubs. Where if that's gonna happen, maybe that could be a spot where if they if they are allowed to bring someone extra up, he could be in position then to pitch again. Yeah, um, I was kind of surprised that Burns was slated currently for Game One of that doubleheader on Monday, considering Sunday would be his fifth day. So it looks like he's getting an extra day of rest, and they're holding him out for the doubleheader. And what they do for the second game of the doubleheader and what they do on Sunday, I guess is any anybody's guess to this point, just the way uh, the roster is shaking out right now. But to your point about the timing with small, uh, I mean, I can't think of a better time for him to make his debut. As I was saying last week, talking about him pitching on big stages in college, uh, hitting the mound for Wrigley at a doubleheader, bring it on. I think you and I would enjoy it at least. And I think it would, I mean, they do, like, capital letters need him right now just because of the injuries mm-hmm. and the the pileup of the schedule. So, um, and we have to be past the they, Super they do, arbitration They do need, a, like, because I know you and I, when Freddie was healthy, we weren't particularly in favor of the, the six-starter idea. But I do think you need a guy in your bullpen who is, like, next up, that's the six-starter. And with Freddie out and Ashby now a starter, they do not have that. So yeah. that is like, because I find it almost impossible to map that out. Because even if it's like, whether it's game two against the Cubs or if it's game four against the, the Cardinals, if you're like, you know what, maybe that's just a bullpen game. Like a bullpen game is tough for them right now too. If Hader isn't available at that point. Um, so I, there isn't an easy answer. And it feels like they could definitely just do with another starter in the mix where it's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna give this guy a game. And look, right now, like that kind of game, whether it's Eaton Small or whether it's someone else that maybe you and I aren't quite as excited about. If you lose a game and it's like, okay, we're having to do this, we're in a spot injured, fine. It's like that's I don't think that's the end of the world. Um, but managing managing the arms and managing the bullpen is a little trickier at the moment. And I, I do think doing everything you can. Get someone else in the mix. If it costs you a game, it's going to cost you a game. But you certainly don't want any more injuries to key pitchers because that will cost you a whole lot of games. So I am interested to see how they approach that when we maybe see any updates to um, what the schedule looks like for for those two games. Yeah, um, I think, I you know, we've been talking ab- about small coming up for a while now and they they haven't done it obviously i think this is a situation where a i 100 percent agree about needing that flexible bullpen arm so i mean it's a situation where call him up he's debuts as a starter because you need him to start right now because of the way the schedule aligns and then from there on when you get your normal five-man rotation ash be in that fifth slot no longer in that bullpen role small gets a start you shift him into that bullpen role multi-inning bullpen arm you spot start him when you need him and i think that could work out perfectly it, it very well could be a situation that they didn't call him up immediately uh, when Freddie went down because they knew they're not going to need him until 
it gets to this point uh, against the Cardinals or the Cubs. So call up Miguel Sanchez, call up Trevor Kelly, and uh, have some additional bullpen arms until you need small. That's something we very well could be seeing. Um, Another guy who's been uh, very good in in the pen, um, if they were going to go the opener route, and do a bullpen game. That's where I think uh, Luke Barker could come in as the extra man with a doubleheader. He's uh, uh, thrown in 16 games, 18 innings this year in Nashville, a three ERA, uh, kind of uh, one of those lifetime minor leaguers. So I wonder if they would consider him as like a extra man bullpen arm in, in, in a bullpen game. But I would prefer they go the, the small route just because I think it's time and I think it just sets them up well for the rest of the season and and like you said giving them that swiss army knife uh bullpen arm yeah i, I don't disagree with that i mean th- they do the the pitching in Nashville has been pretty phenomenal as is the case throughout most of the brewers organization so you do have options um of of plenty of guys who have put in really good starts this season jason alexander is another guy who I mean, if you're not going to the small route, is putting great starts. And what I love that for the content for all the Seinfeld oh, yeah. games, it gives 100%. Um, I mean, jo- Josh Lindblom has been really good in Nashville. For sure. um, so there's there's definitely options. We we want the we want the uh, the top prospect, but we'll see what direction they go with. Um, it just it seems it to be the one that makes sense because yeah, if Ashby is now filling into Freddie, you need a new Ashby essentially. Yeah, like f- for the time being and. Small would very much fit that mold in, in actually a, like a, a number of ways. And I think from a developmental standpoint, it's to the point where it's time. He's 25 years old. Uh, like, like I said, three-year college player at, at a high level in the SEC, and he's gone through the, the minor league track, obviously had uh, basically a, a season of normal development wiped out by COVID. 2020 was weird for all of the minor leagues, but then – Came back last year, getting time in Biloxi and Nashville, and then obviously starting the season out phenomenally in Nashville this year, 38 and a third innings, uh, uh, 188 ERA. It just really does feel like it's time for Ethan Small to get a shot at the big leagues. Let's hope so. Let's hope we see. It would be exciting. It would add something uh, something new and unpredictable in a very positive sense. I mean – there has been something enjoyable watching the challenge of the Brewers trying to navigate these games against a great team when they are kind of undermanned. But there's even, I mean, there's questions going forward on the other side too, going into something like that double header. And like, would, if that's the day Willie Adamez decides to be back, I've got to assume Willie Adamez is not playing two games in one day to come back. So we'll, we'll see what happens. So it'll be kind of questions on all fronts and let's just, how about let's just have no more injuries until some players start coming back? That would be certainly welcome um, because whether it's infield, outfield, I don't think they need injuries anywhere right now. The Cubs just emailed me and asked me if I wanted to go to the Brewer series next week. Did they really? Don't, that's don't provocative. Me a good time. Yeah, that's, yeah. They don't know who they're emailing. Like, or maybe they do know who they're emailing. Oh, that's the problem. All right, Andrew. I think that's pretty much it for us. Uh, you and I will be with some of our, our listeners, some of our, our good brewers watching friends from the the GSPN Discord and the Cruising for a Bruising channel there. We will be watching game one against the Cardinals. Um, Eric Lauer with the Zoom ball live together tonight. Um, we'll be watching on Playback, a platform that allows you to 
they see Andrew and I will be up on stage with I, I haven't checked in, but I hope some of our fellow GSPN friends too. Um, we'll kind of talk through the game. We'll talk about a whole variety of brewery stuff throughout. And we have constant, constant chatter with the group chat that is is there to watch along with it. So if you want to join us, it's a great time. Um, you'll need to be a member of the Discord. The, the link to, to view will be in there. So best thing to do, you can go to my Twitter at AdamE11 and in my bio, there's a link in bio which has a Discord access link. You can fill it in there. Or alternatively, you can five-star rating and review your podcast platform of choice. Send a screenshot to me and I will get you invited into the Discord. Um, but should be a lot of fun. Looking, looking forward to it. And Eric Lauer, we've seen a lot of good stuff from him recently. So hopefully he's got another another good one. It's Adam Wainwright tonight, right? For the Cardinals. Is that what you said? Uh, yes, I did. So exciting times. Also, tickets are as low as $4 if we want to catch a ride to St. Louis. Well, listen, the Cubs are on your case. You're talking about going St. Louis. This is true, Andrew Snyder. We need to get off so you can get moving and get St. Louis. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your, your podcasts. That's like cruising for a bruising. You can uh, sign up to GSPN Substack, gspn.substack.com. That way, all episodes will go directly to your inbox. And with that, you'll get Andrew's uh, detailed write-ups on the Master Brew points and the Master Brewer leaderboard from every episode. Uh, you can support the pod, support the Eurostep Podcast Network in general by going and buying whether it's cruising for a bruising merch or winning six or Eurostep um, gspnstore.com we've got a whole variety of merch up there hoping hoping to get some more added um, in the not so distant future too and uh, lastly we're on Twitter at BrewersGSPN I'm at AdamEgee11 Andrew's at AC Snide until next time thanks again to all of you for listening thank you Andrew thanks Adam <laughs>